0: And so we're going to dive in uh, very quickly indeed. Uh, I I wanted to just mention one thing. Uh, Last week we talked about uh, the protection of words within relationships. Um, And I just wanted to say uh, a little thing, uh, just as we begin. You do need to protect yourself with regard to abuse. That is, uh, abuse in any relationship, whether that's physical or verbal, uh, is an issue of covenant and faithfulness. And it must not be ignored. I know that's a very sensitive and a very difficult issue. Love involves, at that point, in terms of abuse, to speak to someone who will protect you. um, And then get out very quickly. Uh, Seek uh, help for both of you, but love the abuser, knowing that they are sick and they need help. And you being silent, you are not loving them. Or protecting yourself. So consider those. I'd love to talk to you about that if that's an issue. Um, Or you know someone who's in that situation. You need to help and love those people uh, particularly. But we're on the subject of love today. And uh, the Beatles once sang, didn't they, many, many years ago, all you need is, well, we know the answer to that. Um, Ed Sheeran, 50 years later, said these words, didn't he? I have found a love for me. I'm not going to sing the tune, uh, so there we go. But there's nothing unique, is there, about their subject choice? I mean, whatever generation of music you look at, what dominates music lyrics? It is the subject of love. And why not? And why not? Because we we want to know, we want to feel it, we want to experience it, don't we? And we want to also give it. And when we get it right, whether that's in kind of family relationships or friendships, Or in our intimate relationships, when we get love right, wow, it's the best thing ever, isn't it? It's so joyful and delightful. But when we get it wrong, there are a few things that hurt us more deeply and scar us more permanently. We spent just five weeks uh, examining a book, which I think many people, if you were to ask them, non-Christians particularly, think probably would never, ever appear in the Bible. The book is The Song of Songs. It's this collection of love poems and it's hardly, is it, within that caricature of what people understand the Bible to be, or even what they understand Christianity to be. Uh, it's extraordinary, isn't it? If you're a Christian here today, though, I hope uh, that you've seen already that Christianity is not about a kind of a dour, frumpy, joyless life riddled with rules. No, the Christian life is primarily and should be a joyful, liberating, new life through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a new life with eternal hope, with purpose, and with joy. New life with intimate and delightful relationships, satisfying relationships, and that is whether you're married or not song with has been great, hasn't it, in, in that it shows the ups and the downs of uh, intimate love relationships enjoyed between a man and a woman before marriage and also during marriage. Their love is on, on display for all of us to see. And we've seen ecstatic high points with quite kind of intimate graphic language, uh, but also we've seen these low points as well. And what we therefore have got, we've got a dose of reality, haven't we, right in front of us here. And throughout, I think, it's been quite challenging, I think, for many of us. I've had conversations about that because although the first application must obviously go to the the marriage relationship or those who are intending to get married, well, I think the challenge has come to all of us. Because the application goes to all of us. Because the intimacy we see here in Song of Songs must point us to the intimacy that we can all enjoy as the bride of Christ if we are Christians here today, in his church. That's described in Ephesians 5, if you want to look at that later. And therefore it's been helpful as a whole church to look at these poems because we must learn and seek to nurture intimacy with God. As we see here in Song of Songs, we've been given some of the tools to do just that. And so if you do find yourself, you know, a bit dry... A bit distant from God, you kind of sat here going, I'll go through the motions and so on. Well, here we've got some wonderful tools. Don't let that become the norm for you. Nurture an, an intimate relationship that you perhaps once had with God and enjoyed with God. Recall, as we saw last week, the covenant that you have entered into through faith in Jesus Christ. Renew that covenant daily with God. We've seen that restating of covenant promises between the man and the woman. What does it do? It's (coughs) bolstered and reinvigorated their intimacy. We've seen that a number of times in the poems of this book, and we see it here again today. Cast your eyes down. Look at chapter 7, verse 10. I don't want to patronise anyone here, but the, the, the big numbers are the chapter numbers, the small numbers are the verse numbers, and we're on page 684, chapter 7 verse 10. And if you look on your outlines as well, just at the same time, we're looking here, first point, to renew or express your love, it will firstly involve declaring commitment. Let's read uh, chapter 7, verse 10. I belong to my beloved, and his desire is for me. This is a covenant promise that the lady is, uh, is establishing here. We've seen it before, and like before, we see here that the commitment gives rise to the desire. She says, I belong to him. Remember what he is? He's ruddy and he's rugged and all these other things that she said before. I belong to him and his desire is for me. Her remembering their promise fires up their desire. And this is repeated throughout the book and it's so important, isn't it, for our times. God is graciously showing us here that intimacy is good, but it is founded where? In commitment. In fact, their intimacy is heightened by their commitment, and we'll see that later. But it's a good reminder, isn't it, for us all? Uh, to work hard to voice uh, and to renew our commitments and our vows. We live in a world, don't we, where where talk is so cheap. Yeah, a politician can say one thing one day and another thing the other day and either deny what he said or just completely change his mind, and that's totally okay, it seems. Before God, our talk should never be cheap. If you have trusted God by faith and entered into a personal covenant relationship with him, renew your commitment. And likewise, as we see here, in marriage too. Why? Because it expresses and renews our intimacy. Now, the obvious kind of application is that, what if you're struggling right now, thinking that things will never get better? Well, just... Stop and pray. And pray that you will honor God and demonstrate His grace in and through your marriage. But remember what we saw in Ecclesiastes a few weeks back. In Ecclesiastes 5, we were looking at that in our small groups. Ecclesiastes 5, verse 4 says When you make a vow to God, do not delay to, to, for, for, to fulfill it. He has no pleasure in fools. Fulfill your vow. What he's saying there, and if you put it into our passage here, don't be a fool, he's saying. When you are married, you make a vow, not only before a congregation and before each other, you make a vow before God. And therefore keep renewing it daily, which will help restore the marriage by God's grace. So, so many people make their wedding vows with little thought of what it really means being swept along with a moment of just sort of, you know, light-headed romance or even lust or even just a, ooh, family pressure or even church pressure. doesn't matter how you started. Understand your vows now and fulfil them. What if you're single? Well, I think the encouragement here is don't rush into making vows. Don't rush into it. Get others involved before you get engaged, for example, if you're dating someone. Uh, Get them to interrogate your relationship, obviously in a loving and gentle and kind way, but get them to interrogate your relationship. Will it stand? Is it robust enough? It's better that, isn't it, than five years down the line, and everything's falling apart. Renew and express your love. Firstly, by declaring commitment. Now, as we go on, let's look at it by getting away with each other. This section is so super uh, because it is so practical. And I think you'll probably chuckle as you go through. and think, really? It say yes, it does. Let's go for this. Getting away with it. And it seems very obvious, isn't it? You're in a relationship, uh, but so many things get in the way. You know what life's like. Uh, this couple in the Song of Songs, they've been trying to get away together for a long, long time. Even if you flip back, if you want to, chapter 1, verse 4. The woman, right at the beginning, before they married, they were saying, take me away with you. Now she's saying that in a kind of, this is what I long for in the future way. Chapter 2, verse 10, and chapter 2, verse 13. He calls her then to arise, to go with her. She's so, they're so desperate to spend exclusive time with one another. Chapter 4, verse 8. It's the same thing. Come away with me. Now we get to chapter 7. Let's read verse 11 through to verse 13. Come, my beloved, let us go to the countryside. Let us spend the night in the villages. Let us go early to the vineyards to see if the vines have budded, if their blossoms have opened, and if the pomegranates are in bloom. There I will give you my love. The mandrakes send out their fragrance. And at our door is every delicacy, both new and old, that I have stored up for you, my beloved. You have to ask, what is your excuse? Uh, you you may say, oh, kind of time, or money, or the children, I can't go away because of that. No. If as a couple you want to renew your romance, you must plan retreats. Note the context, though, they're married. You are seriously playing with fire if you holiday, Unmarried alone. Now, why is getting away so important? What we see here is that they they have concentrated time for each other. It's time with no interruptions and no distractions, uh, no life admin or bills coming through the door or kind of emails. Yeah, just put your phones away, that would be a good thing. Yeah, look at verse 12. And all of that, all of that imagery there, I know it's poetic and so on, but it's all imagery pointing towards intimacy, being enjoyed with one another. She's pretty keen, isn't she? She says, let's go early. Let's get there quickly, please. Let's go and enjoy each other. They're doing the practical application of verse 10, the renewing of their commitment, their vows. Now, you get to verse 13 and the mandrakes appear. That's just totally confusing, isn't it? It's a plant. Apparently it appears once else in the Bible, in Genesis chapter 30. And there, every time you see it, it's, it's associated with intimacy. <coughs> uh, they're actually, the, the name, the other name that mandrakes were used for, kind of the, the kind of colloquial name, well, that was love apples. So you kind of get the idea. It, it's basically the champagne and the strawberries or the haagen or whatever you think. You get the idea uh, of that time. This time away is about the renewal of intimacy and also a chance to explore new intimacy together. And the lovely thing is, she's done some planning. I've stored up for you, she says, in verse 13. She's gone and bought something to enhance their retreat together for him, for her beloved. Now, if money is tight, don't be stupid. You know, baked beans on toast can be as romantic as anything else. Get a grip. Don't look outside there for your cues. Just plan. You need to work hard. You don't even have to go away, but you do need time alone. I know when we drop our boys off at camp, which some of you lead on, which we're very thrilled about because we just dump them for a week with you, and uh, then driving back going, yay! (laughs) Like, uh, here we go, it's restaurants every day and night, and it's just time together, and it's great. I eat more steak that (laughs) week. than most of countries do. It's wonderful. But men, don't let your wives organise everything. Put some effort in. Women, put, put yourselves into it as well. Think, what would your man want? It probably doesn't involve flowers, candles, or any other girly things that you might enjoy. You know what he wants, so give it to him. What about if your kids are young? Here's a practical one. They need to know from the moment they are born that they come low down in your priorities. It doesn't mean you don't absolutely love them with spade loads of love. They they need to know from day one that God is first in your priorities. Your spouse is second. And they are third, very third. And that's hard, I know, it's countercultural, I know, but mums especially—if you obscure that biblical order in how you speak to your children, how you prioritise them, how do you think it makes your husbands feel? Get away from your children, even when they are young, very young, if possible. Leave your child with a parent or a friend, and there's innumerable people in this church who would love to help you out in that. And show your children who in your home is most important. I know if things have been really hard, particularly if you've suffered loss or miscarriage or illness or any number of things that will and can interrupt romance and love, can I encourage you to still get away? Now, that getting away might involve sitting on a sofa all week Cry, Weekend crying your eyes out in each other's arms. But let me tell you, that will not take the pain away, but it will help you carry it together. With the help of, of course, the Lord. It's very practical, isn't it? If you want to renew and express your love, you need to get away with each other, as we see here. Thirdly, uh, chapter 8, verse 1 to 3, we see them expressing affection publicly. Look with me at uh, those verses if you can. If only you were like, you were to me like a brother who was nursed at my mother's breast. Then if I found you outside, I would kiss you and no one would despise me. I will lead you and bring you to my mother's house. She who has taught me, I would give you spiced wine to drink, the nectar of my pomegranates. His left arm is under my head and his right arm embraces me. I know the first one. It sounds a bit weird, doesn't it? She brings her brother in there and all this kind of stuff. But simply, the, uh, the woman is expressing here her desire for a public display of their affection with, with her man, her love. She wants a way that she can be open about how she feels about her man, if you like, and uh, a way that is socially acceptable. Now, the reason it's quite... Because if it wasn't socially acceptable, she could get stoned to death in these times. So she's obviously having to be kind of cautious here. <clears throat> but the reason she mentions her brother is because she could be affectionate with her brother. She could kiss her brother in public. You see, she wants to be able to kiss her love publicly and lead him to their marriage bed. That's what all the euphemisms of chapter two, sorry, verse two, uh, kind of point us to. But the goal of all of that comes in verse three. Look at it. She wants in the day, verse 1 and 2, to give public affection. So by the end of the night, verse 3, she's in the embrace of her lover. What do we learn here? Well, I think we see here that that to keep the romance and the affection alive, we must find publicly acceptable ways to be affectionate with our spouses. Not in church. Uh, because you don 't want to be a distraction, do you to your spouse? you want to love them and not be a distraction, so if you're, you know, if your spouse has a tendency of putting your arm around you just flick it off you know, don 't get up you know, this is time for me to concentrate about Jesus, flick them. get them, no, sorry um, you know, if they 're a distraction, but be honest about that with each other i 'm not saying a hard and fast rule, I'm just saying be honest if you hold my hand. I start thinking about you and not about Jesus. That's what I would say. Maybe you're different. Also, you don't want to be a distraction to others, do you, in church? So love people around you. But we must find ways to be playful and communicate to each other, whatever that is, for you guys. Men, particularly, need to remember that intimacy doesn't begin the moment you enter the bedroom at night time. It begins when you wake up, doesn't it? Uh, as you say, as you leave the house, a loving touch, a, a text, a romance uh, uh, that builds up throughout the day. That's what we see here. The woman here seems to have a plan, and she executes that plan quite marvellously, doesn't she? So we see so far, if you get to renew and express your love, that ought to involve declaring commitment, getting away with each other, expressing affection publicly. But again, don't forget the application to all of us here uh, and our relationship with Christ. Uh, You know, it's not direct, but, you know, getting away with Christ might look very different to a romantic break in a hotel. But prioritizing time, a weekend, uh, you know, whether that's at a conference or you just go away with a deliberate thought I'm going to read this, I'm going to spend some time in prayer about this, and so on. Spend some time expressing your affection for Christ publicly. I mean, what does that look like? I wonder how many of us actually do that when in earshot with our non-Christian friends. We don't want to be weird about that, but if you don't speak about your first love ever, you have to wonder, don't you, if he's truly your first love. I think over the last few weeks we've seen (coughs) that love is pretty hard work, isn't it, sometimes, in our relationships. So often we struggle to understand it and to enjoy it and and how to express it and how kind therefore as we get to this end part of this whole book now how kind that god gives us some wisdom to understand love more clearly here we are on our second point now from verses uh, five to the end of chapter eight and we see three things here let's rattle through them quite quickly as we close can we look at down at chapter eight verse five and we'll read through to verse seven Who is this coming up from the wilderness, leaning on her beloved? Under the apple tree I roused you. There your mother conceived you. There she who was in labour gave you birth. Place me like a seal over your heart, like a seal on your arm. For love is as strong as death. It's jealousy unyielding as the grave. It burns like blazing fire, like a mighty flame. Many waters cannot quench love. Rivers cannot sweep it away. If one were to give all the wealth of one's house for love, it would be utterly scorned. Do you remember back in 8 uh, 1, chapter 8, verse 1, she wanted uh, some public affection, didn't she? That she wanted to get away uh, previously to that. She, it seems by uh, verse 5, she's got exactly what she's wanted. She's coming up from the wilderness now, leaning on her beloved. And by the end of verse 5, she's reminiscing, isn't she? She's like, well, this is a good time away. We enjoyed that. This is good. They're giving each, themselves to each other. And she's recalling her joy in that. Under the apple tree I roused you. And such is the, 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 uh, the kind of their love. And she poetically recalls their commitment as, as a seal now. You know, like a hot wax seal, which would be used by a king to certify something that was his, whether it was a document or something else. Now, what does that seal symbolise? It symbolises two things, really. Firstly, it symbolises ownership. Whatever that seal was on, it belonged to the king. It came from the king, but also it symbolises power. Because whatever that, for example, a document said, if it had a seal on it, that could not be changed. They were the words of the king and they could not be changed. And the powerful seal of their love is then spelt out. You see now love is described in four ways. Look down to verse 6, halfway through, and then into verse 7. Love is as strong as death, they say, as unyielding as Death. That is, none of us can escape the grip of death. We're all heading that way. And the picture is true love doesn't give up, it is utterly unyielding. It's a good test for your love, that isn't it? Secondly, at the end of verse six, love burns like a godly flame. That is, it's passionate, it's pure. It's it's burning and alive, not stagnant and cold. The beginning of verse 3. Love is a fire that can't be put out by many rivers. That is, true love has um, a kind of a a great permanence and perseverance. It won't be put out. And lastly, love is a great prize. You can't buy true love, it doesn't have a price. Love has to be given. Uh, This is the woman's song, isn't it? Celebrating love. And this is what, why she wants him to seal it on her heart. And I wonder, do you read that and, and kind of you look at those kind of four characteristics of love, true love, and, and does that really appeal to you? See, it mustn't be just what you want. It must be what you're prepared to also give as well. Now, I know some of you th- may be thinking this is very hard to hear because you want this love. It would be so great. You just struggle to find it. And you're looking and it's so hard. Some of you will have also lost this love. Maybe in relationships. My friends, we live in a messy world. And uh, some of us will have messed up this love. Some of us will never find this kind of love. I think one of the really sobering but really helpful things when we've been studying Ecclesiastes, this last term in a bit, has been that it realigns our expectations of living in a fallen and messy world. Sometimes we'll never get good things that we desire. Even if they are really, really good things, sometimes we just may not get them. Perhaps today we need to begin to acknowledge that in this area of our lives. And if we can't, what generally happens, is not always the case, is we, we begin to unhelpfully chase this kind of love, making it probably into an idol. And when we do that, it's so self-destructive. We must realise there is also something better. There is a love that we ought to desire, that we can know now, that is so, so much better than what we even see here a love that isn't, do you notice the phrase in chapter 6, uh, sorry, verse 6 of chapter 8, a love that says, is as strong as death. There's a love that isn't just as strong as death. No, there's a love that is stronger than death and has defeated death. God has loved us and he has defeated death for us. And he is, to use those images there, he's a holy and consuming fire. And you can either choose to meet him in his, his holy ju- consuming judgment or his holy consuming love. As you accept his never-ending grace given through his son, Jesus Christ. And if you are looking for love today and you sit here feeling, oh I lack in this area and it's so sad and so on. Before anything else, ask yourself, are you looking in the right place? because first and foremost you need to look to jesus and you need to accept his love for you and know whatever the waters of life throw at you his love will never ever be extinguished if you trust in him understand love it is powerful and therefore second point here it needs protecting look with me down at verse seven and eight of chapter eight can it's a extraordinary verses because i think here i hope you recognize you have a job to do you might be sitting here and thinking oh yeah i could just relax it doesn't apply to it. no you've got a job to do look we have a little sister verse eight and our breasts have not yet grown what shall we do for our sister on the day she has spoken for if she's a wall we will build towers of silver on her if she is a door we will enclose her with panels of cedar it's interesting here, in verse 8, it's the brothers of the woman who, who ask this question. The reason we know that is because all the words there are written in the masculine form, and therefore it must be the brothers. But they ask, how do we protect our younger sister? And I love this because they actually then give the answer themselves in verse 9. Uh, and the wall and the door, these are wonderful symbols uh, of the character of this young girl. The wall speaks of a girl who is controlled and modest. Uh, and the door speaks of a girl who is someone who lacks control in this area of her life. Now, in both cases, the brother, the brothers here accept the responsibility. Therefore, if she grows up as a wall, what are they gonna do? Well, they're gonna help her. As we see there, they make her appropriately beautiful. Taking her out shopping, buying her some modest but beautiful clothes. But what if she's a door? Well, they're going to buy her some cedar panels. And that's a really strong wood. And they're going to put them around her and they're going to enclose her from other men. They're going to protect her. She cannot control herself, but in love they will. And they will protect her and keep her from other men. And every man here, let's be honest, we know she needs that. Look back at verse 4, that repeated refrain of the book is there, do not awaken love before it desires. And we see here, simply in verse 8 and 9, in a sense the practical application of what that before that time should look like. We need to help. But why? You know, you kind of look, you look at this, there's a bit of of historic prudishness here, They're a bit kind of old. No, ladies be honest, you know what men are like too. We have to be responsible. Parents, I hope you will protect your daughters, however much they kick against it in the future, and they surely, surely will. Teach them, love them, and protect them. Of course, you will want to take uh, them out and buy them lovely and beautiful, appropriate clothes, and that should be lots and lots of fun. And allow other women and girls in the congregation to take your girls out and to do what girls do and have fun together. And whatever that looks like, so your girls can see godly examples of other women. That is a precious thing and use it. But protect them, please. And fight for your daughters. Because no one else will. There will be times when she won't have the sense to fight for herself and when everyone else around her, whether at school or on social media, is pulling her in another direction, get some cedar wood or whatever it is and stick it around her and protect her so that she will be preserved for the right time. And men, of course, we need to do the same for the boys of this congregation. Model to them godly, hard-working gentlemen of Jesus Christ. Show them how to speak to ladies and treat ladies with the respect and honour that they deserve. You are their older brothers, and please do not let them down. Of course, this is similar, isn't it, to to Paul in 1 Timothy chapter 5. As he speaks to Timothy, he says that women, to teach the younger women uh, towards absolute purity. We have a responsibility to teach and to model this love. Church should be the safest place for women Where women gladly accept the protection of men. And if you find yourself in a situation, whether that's after work, whatever it is, you ought to be able to call a godly brother and sister to come and help you. We must never feel alone. And we must never feel vulnerable. That must never also be the case for any of our children as they grow up. True love is powerful, but it must be protected. Until finally... It's time to share it. And the sharing of the love here in the last few verses, verses 10 through to 14, the context is, of course, marriage between a man and a woman, as it is throughout the whole of the Bible. And the positive point here is in verse 10 to 14 when love is not awakened before its right time, it brings about a greater, a greater, more delightful contentment. Look at verse 10. He's content. Why? Because she's been a wall. And This is so contrasting, isn't it? To everything you see in our society, whether it's on the TV or a magazine. Everywhere else out there says, oh, go out, go and find some experience. Experiment. Try this, try that with as many people as you can so that you will get that, so you can give more. No, it's absolute rubbish. The word thus in verse 10 is the absolute key here. The reality, though rarely voiced in our very liberal society, the reality is men and women are rarely content or pleased with a partner who is experienced. Because all you're looking at is just a double standard, a walking compromise. They are walking doors rather than beautified walls. No one wants a door for a spouse. If we keep ourselves and give ourselves to one, God tells us here, and painful experience, I'm sure in some of us here, tells us that our contentment will be deepest and sweetest because you can trust each other and there are no comparisons. And she delights in her love and Being able to bring him contentment. It's wonderful. She has become that in verse 10, halfway through. That is, she has worked to find what brings contentment to her love. And part of that is her exclusive love for him, which is expressed in verse 12. Sorry, I'm running through this very quickly, but time is short. You get to the end in verse 13 and 14, and they delight in each other. And we actually get, at the end, the happily ever after as they consummate their love and he even loves you know this is true love because in verse 13 the man actually loves her voice and to be honest most men don't like anyone's voices they just like it quiet so it must be true love at this point now what should we say as we end this uh, our time together in this book well we do get to happily ever after after eight chapters but it's jolly hard work and the point is As we look through this, it is possible with God's grace and his help and his wisdom from his word. Secondly, even a couple who are seriously struggling, even if there's been unfaithfulness, they can know love with God's help and encouragement and support of friends. And the the encouragement throughout this book has been, renew your vows to one another daily. Express your commitment that might lead to intimacy. Intimacy. Even if you just can't bear to even be in the same room right now with each other, start there. And with God's help and his grace, begin to move forward. If you're a single person, thirdly, and longing for joyful, satisfying intimacy, look, it's hard. It's really hard. But begin in the right place and look to Jesus. And know the sweet and satisfying and intimate relationship you can have with him. Get up tomorrow. Open up his word. Hear him speak lovingly to you. Trust in him. Give yourself to him. Let him wrap his arms around you and take you home. Fourthly, let's protect and instruct our children. I'm sorry I've laboured that point a bit. It's something a little bit close to my heart. Ephesians 5, as we'll see in our small group soon, Paul tells the church in Ephesus there's not to be even a hint of sexual immorality. And therefore our children, we need to protect them. But for some of us, I guess guess we just need to get serious. And some of us need to start confessing and fighting and trusting in the grace and forgiveness of our loving, merciful Saviour. I think as I get to the end of this, uh, it's been hard work, Um, but I think God has shown us a better way with regard to our love and our intimate relationships. God has shown us a better way. And I just wonder, are you going to trust his wisdom or just how your gut feels? Let's pray as we close. Maybe just a moment of quiet. Uh, There's lots of applications to him today. Maybe we just need to have a moment to pray ourselves and how we are going to personally apply what we have heard from God, speak through his word and by his spirit. Lord God and Heavenly Father, we do thank and praise you that you speak to us even about these most uh, intimate and personal parts of our lives. Thank you that you've given us the joy of knowing intimate relationships with one another as friends, in relationships with spouses, husbands, wives. But thank you first and foremost that we can live knowing that because of Jesus, your banner over us is love. Lord Jesus, I guess many of us will have failed in this area. Many of us could be struggling in this area. Help us to not be lazy. Help us to work in, in our lives to be honest and open with friends that they might walk with us So that we might be more honouring and pleasing to you. And also that we might know the joy of walking in your ways. Help us to know your love today. Please, by your spirit, work in each of our hearts. And where we need to confess sin, help us to be brave. And to know that we will be received when we do that. As one who has sought forgiveness to a loving Heavenly Father and who longs to forgive us. Help us to know that sweet and beautiful love that we can only receive through the faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.